A board-certified cardiologist, Dr. Thomas Levy, is here to share his insights into the treatment of all viral illnesses that only cost $3. You heard that right, 3 bucks through the form of nebulized hydrogen peroxide. Folks, Dr. Levy is well-known for authoring groundbreaking medical books, 11 of them to be exact. And his latest book called Rapid Virus Recovery is available as a free download, so please listen in, download the free book, read and share. This is a life-changing therapy, and I have biohacked with the treatment myself. The results are in, and all I have to say is that had I known of this therapy earlier in my life as an individual, as a parent, and a healthcare consultant, my life would be different today. Dr. Levy's real-time testimonials says it all. Thank you for the incredible feedback on our updated website at scotteburgess.com. Please continue to provide feedback and suggestions as you navigate our user-friendly search function, drop-down menus of all the topics, affiliate pages, and so much more. Best part, as you know, this is just the beginning as we expand and grow into the next chapter of Healthcare 360. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, it would mean a lot to the entire Healthcare 360 team if you could take a moment and write us a review, as reviews are the lifeblood to podcast growth and longevity. Positive review pushes Healthcare 360 to the top and brings these conversations to those who need it most. Have a topic you'd like to share with the nation? Go to scottyburgess.com and schedule a meet with me personally. If Facebook is more convenient, you can reach me at my Facebook community page at scottyburgess.com and click the messenger chat bubble in the lower right-hand corner and reach me directly. Now, let's jump into our conversation with Dr. Levy, and as always, thanks for listening. Welcome back to another episode of Healthcare 360. As we promised, we're about solutions here. I really don't know if there's any other more simplified, more direct. Without further ado, Dr. Thomas Levy, he has 11 books written. If you go to his website, peakenergy.com, you'll find there. Everyone who's watching YouTube, you'll see his latest uh, rapid virus recovery. And everyone who knows me personally knows I've been talking about this now for weeks. We've started our own treatments. I'll talk about my own experience as well. Dr. Levy, thank you. Appreciate your time. A pleasure being here, Scott. Thank you. So if you can go back real quick and just talk about what you just explained to me. You're down in Columbia yeah. with some friends. Well, I, not to, uh, in, in any way sound smug, but I already knew for myself what hydrogen peroxide nebulization does for any upper respiratory virus. Doesn't matter whether it's COVID, doesn't matter whether it's another influenza, doesn't matter. Uh, when you nebulize with hydrogen peroxide with the right concentration and for the right period of time, nebulization, as you know, is the inhalation of a mist that mm -hmm. you form from a liquid uh, with a special device. It resolves any virus there is. As it turns out, over a year and a half ago, when visiting family and friends in Columbia, South America, Cali, one of my wife's girlfriends I was having a pretty significant cold. I mean, she was literally giving a cough every 10 or 15 seconds. It was sad, but it was also aggravating to listen to it. I, I had my nebulizer with me and my peroxide because I had already resolved a lot of my own, mm -hmm. and I used that to stay healthy when I travel because, hey, my sad story is I get these things pretty easily, which is pretty much why I went to the effort to research all of this and develop, I guess you could say, the system that I have right now. She started nebulizing 3% hydrogen peroxide very quickly. Within a minute or two, she was coughing much, much, much less. 
And we continued for 15 minutes and she was slept well that night, coughed a little more the next day, one more treatment and she was fine. And when I was getting ready to leave uh, back to the States, uh, she said, well, a lot of my family members are having problems with colds too. And I said, I tell you what, it's really not that expensive. Keep the nebulizer, keep the peroxide. (laughs) And this was three months before the COVID pandemic hit. It was roughly November of 2019. Mm -hmm. Fast forward about a year and a half later, I go back, make a point of uh, seeing her. Turns out, because I told her, I said, you know, use this on any virus you want. I mean, take care of your family, take care of anybody. You know, it's really no cost to you. A few pennies of electricity and even less money of the peroxide. Sure. As it turns out, (laughs) I guess word spread in her small barrio, her small community. She had treated 20 COVID patients. Seven of them had gone to the effort of being tested and they were COVID positive. Uh, The rest weren't. But when you have people with similar symptoms in the middle of a pandemic, you don't really have to concern yourself with uh, that definitive a diagnosis. Also, many of them, nearly all of them, were severely short of breath. And for those listening who don't realize this, if you've already gotten to the point with COVID where you're severely short of breath, you could be minutes to a day or two away from dying. I mean, when you finally get that type of what's called respiratory insufficiency, it's basically it's what early on in the pandemic, everybody got a tube rammed down their throat yeah. the moment they started having any shortness of breath. And that was because they knew that they would die rapidly without it. Of course, in the case of the United States, they gave you the ventilation and nothing else. So all they did was prolong the amount of time until you died. Well, she had 20 out of 20 patients and she actually expanded on my protocol, God bless her because uh, she just felt that 15 minutes wasn't enough with her own experience with a cold. Mm -hmm. So she nebulized all of them for half an hour, uh, 3% peroxide, three times a day for five days. All of them felt dramatically better after the first treatment, amazingly enough. And after five days, all 20, 20 out of 20 were cured. And I mean, You should never be afraid to use the word cure when an infectious disease disappears. It's just as much of a crime to avoid using the word cure when something has been cured as it is to falsely promote something as a cure when it's not. True. And as I like to somewhat sarcastically say, uh, (laughs) 20 out of 20, that's pretty doggone close to 100%. I'd say so. So so anyway, that's and the point that I want to make, and I pointed in this article, Because the whole reason I wrote the book was I knew what peroxide nebulization could do. I also knew about many other ways to cure COVID. Vitamin C, uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine, ozone, pretty long list. I write an article on that, and I cover those modalities discussed in the book as well. Mm -hmm. But I needed to put all my forces behind hydrogen peroxide nebulization because It's the single and only therapy that will completely cure COVID, as we just demonstrated, even in its advanced stages, as a monotherapy. And as a monotherapy that's of inconsequential expense, Mm -hmm. available throughout the planet, not requiring the intervention of a doctor or clinic, and having 
the horrible breakdown products inside your body of water and oxygen. That's what hydrogen peroxide breaks down to after it kills the pathogen. So, right. I mean, you're just you're you're rehabilitating the tissue at the same time you're eradicating the pathogen. And so I said, I need to get this out there to as many people as possible. If enough people at key points on the planet know about this, the pandemic is over in a week or two. Sure. That's it. Not yeah. only is the pandemic over in a week or two, any future virus or pathogen that uh, well, I'll hold my political comments. I'll just say that appear on the horizon will be just as easily addressed. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. In the book, I talk about how vitamin C and hydrogen peroxide work together. Mm -hmm. And actually peroxide is the effector arm of vitamin C in killing pathogens. It is the final common denominator by which the body eliminates any pathogen at all. It's by peroxide, B of vitamin C, and iron inside the cell. They relay the electrons, they break down the peroxide, the hydroxyl radical, very oxidizing agent, oxidizes it all, kills it. Mm -hmm. If, for the sake of argument, they actually came up with a pathogen that hydrogen peroxide couldn't kill, the planet itself will die, and so will those son of a guns as well. Wow. All right, that's a statement of a century right there. Wow. I want to back up for a few. I want to go through the protocol because what I don't want to do too much, too much. We, we can have a little fun with this one, Dr. Okay. Right? <laughs> I also want to talk about asthma, COPD, other sure. lung distressors and what it does because I want to read a short excerpt for everybody as well. You talked about how it kills all viruses, bacteria, how it helps you go to the bathroom easier and it has just a great metabolic response overall. Before I go there, All right. you mentioned uh, one of the many problems in Western medicine is its singular focus on observable expressions of disease. As a result, clinicians treat superficial symptoms while scientists study specific molecular mechanisms which may become patentable targets for drug development. If that's not the truth, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what is. Uh, you know, and then when you try to go in and Dig a little bit to who patent what and where follow the money trail, blah, 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 all that discussion, right? Sure. What I love about what I've read and what I've listened to is that you can get a nebulizer anywhere, CBS, Walgreens, wherever you're going to get it. And, and according to your conversation with Dr. McCullough, which was awesome, by the way, you don't need to get the medical grade hydrogen peroxide. You can actually get over the counter hydrogen peroxide as well. Absolutely. And you know, I haven't done a series on a million patients for years and years and years, but I'm very comfortable personally with using just over-the-counter hydrogen peroxide, 3%. I think it's fine as many times as you want to use it. Having said that, there's absolutely no reason if you have any anxieties at all about the stabilizing agents that are present in regular over-the-counter peroxide. You can pay a little bit more money, still not that much, and order some food-grade hydrogen peroxide uh, online and use that, dilute it down if it's more concentrated to the 3%. Either one is fine, mm -hmm. but I've used the, the regular peroxide many times. Maybe a better way to approach it is never be reluctant to use the over-the-counter peroxide if you're acutely ill. Okay, don't go and wait another day or two or three for mm -hmm. the food grade to come in. Use it as you want, 
But on the other hand, as you pointed out in the book, there's a lot of other ways that this is beneficial to the health and requires in many people a lifestyle of occasional but regular hydrogen peroxide nebulization to keep the microbial flora in a normal state in the nose and airways and the throat and the sinuses so that you don't continually pollute your gut. If you're going to use it indefinitely over a long period of time, then it does make a lot of sense to go ahead and get the purest form you can find, which sure. is the food grade. Okay, but I don't want people to in any way be afraid to use the regular over-the-counter uh, preparation, especially if they're ill. I mean, it's kind of like you're avoiding a gnat and then get tromped by an elephant. Okay, I, I mean, I agree. You, you need to take care of the infection. I was always under the impression up to a little while ago that if you drank hydrogen peroxide, it was like seriously bad for your body. Like you, it was going to do you some harm versus just put on a wound or a cut like most people use it for, for immediate antiseptic. Let me go backwards real quick though, because I do want right. to tap into that. And I don't want to forget about the asthma question and other lung disorders that are out there. Sure. What have you found in your research studies or from other examples from other practitioners with treatments for asthma, COPD, other lung diseases, or bacterial infections, et cetera? You know, they nearly all get better. I mean, you know, nothing's 100% across the board for all people. But in any cases, I can't give you a percentage of asthma and COPD. They are aggravated when there's a low-grade infection that's present, mm -hmm. okay? Peroxide, per se, is not going to cure asthma. It's not going to cure chronic obstructive lung disease. But it will normalize the flora and allow patients like that to have their optimal ability to breathe without having the aggravation of pathogens and the toxins that those pathogens produce, aggravating those respiratory processes. So the rule of thumb there, though, is some asthmatics, some chronic obstructive lung disease patients are very, shall we say, delicate. They're riding a razor's edge. And this is talked about in the book as well. Always use the concentration of peroxide that's absolutely comfortable for you to breathe. Don't inhale anything that makes it more difficult to breathe. It sounds like a, a mm. simple, stupid thing to say, but a lot of people like to tough it out or something like that. No, <laughs> that's not the point. Right. Don't tough it out. If 3% is tough on you and you're having a tough time with it, diluted 50% to 1.5, diluted another 50% to 0.75, whatever it takes to breathe in comfortably. That said, if you're just dealing with a little bit of irritation in the nose, sneezing, maybe a little something in the throat, most of the patients in Colombia had been so sick and they started feeling really good, really fast on the 3% peroxide, but they let my friend know, oh, my nose is hurting and this and the other. And she said, well, you know, we could use a lower concentration. So no, 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 no. Don't use a lower concentration. <laughs> we want to we want to kill it as quick as we can. So, yeah. you know, there, there's that balance. It's not etched in stone, although there's not a lot of common sense on the planet today. It's really just a question of common sense. You and Bruce so, Lipton agree with that same last comment. I was listening to a <laughs> podcast with Bruce Lipton today. and He said the same thing as far as the worldwide totalitarian intelligence level. <laughs> you know, a normal, sane, logical person can end up looking like a genius and doesn't deserve to be called so. It's just that you're sort of the one-eyed king and the king of the blind. Yeah. When you talk about measurement and 
picking up on that point, most people, okay. I would imagine, mm -hmm. now I don't, I don't know that we're not there, we're not going to be in those situations over the, the, the thousands of people who are going to listen to this. You have a small medicine cylinder that's attached to the mask. Now, you would hope that most people would measure it out, dilute it correctly. I would recommend not to use tap water because there are neurotoxins in our tap water, chlorine being one of them. So use clean, purified, distilled water, preferably. Or normal saline. Or normal saline. But now, if that normal, small little medicine adapter attaches to the mask, how much peroxide do you pour in? Halfway? A quarter? Three quarters? Most of them have suggested fill lines. They do. Mm -hmm. uh, now, it's probably not good to go all the way to the fill line because sometimes you go a little further and it makes the nebulization process suboptimal when you put too much in there. So just go close to the fill line and that's fine. Uh, now, if you go close to the fill line and you do it and it's too much to tolerate, this, that, that or whatever, then again, peroxide is cheap. Just pour it all out and then fill it up halfway and add an equal amount of normal saline. You don't need to get out syringes and measuring devices <laughs> in this out of the other. It's, yeah. it's not a precise science. Don't be compulsive and get carried away, okay? Right. It, uh, I've done a thousand different nebulizations with a thousand different concentrations with a dozen or two different agents, okay? So the bottom line is, as is described in the book, you just, you don't inhale oils, because things that are oily don't wash out. They can accumulate in the lungs. So you just want water-soluble stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be well-tolerated. Right. Not only well-tolerated, it's best when it actually makes you breathe even easier than just breathing without it. Okay, that's the goal. So when I did my first treatment, uh, I was one of those people. I brought up that point because I was like, let me just measure this out and see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the biohack. I'm also one of the ones, Dr. Leave, that'll tough it out. I'm like, all right, let's see what we can do here. <laughs> sure, <laughs> like, sure. Just, just to play around. I'm like, nothing's going to happen. It's oxygen, whatever. So I did. I filled it up halfway with hydrogen peroxide, the other half up with uh, purified water. I was fine. The only thing I would say is I got a little irritation around uh, my nose but it was gone within 15 minutes after. When I say little irritation, it was very, very slight. If there was a side effect, that was it at best. The next day, I went to the bathroom very easy. Actually, what was the best result was I felt good and I didn't even notice it because I felt good. Right, <laughs> you never notice good health because you're too busy living. You only notice something hurting. You don't notice something feeling good. Yeah, I that's, remember just going through and I was like, wow. Today was easy. I just was flying around, buzzing around, doing my thing. I, I had one lady write an email to me, said, Dr. Levy, I started nebulizing. A few days later, the pain in my leg went away. What do you think happened? <laughs> I don't know, but I'll tell you this. We tend to forget this, but like if you have an infection in a tooth or an infection in your throat and you're swallowing those toxins or you're chewing on the tooth and it's getting into the blood, guess what? That goes into every cell in your body. That's right. And, and when you're dealing with the leaky gut, which is secondary to swallowing toxins and having those toxins create an abnormal microbiome that makes more toxins, and toxins are pro-oxidant. Mm -hmm. So all toxins are doing are oxidizing the tight junctions of the intestinal cells so that 
partially digested food, food fragments, proteins, peptides can make their way into the circulation. You not only have pathogens that enter that way, you have products such as gluten that get in that way. There's nothing wrong with gluten if your digestive system is working and you don't have a leaky gut. That's right. You have a leaky gut. It just turns out that the gluten protein is exceptionally antigenic. Same thing with peanuts, okay? Mm. I mean, peanuts are great for a lot of people, and they'll kill some little kids. Well, they're killing those kids because the kids have a leaky gut, and the nature of the protein in the peanut is just highly antigenic, okay, once it gets where it shouldn't go. I mean, the only thing you should have getting through there are amino acids, no peptides and no protein fragments. And that's the whole thing is this also, as you noted in the book, promotes all diseases. When you have abnormal, what I call chronic pathogen colonization, what is that? That's the residua after you have a cold or the flu and you just get over it. If you never do an intervention like the peroxide nebulization, guess what? Whether that cold was a week ago, a month ago, or 10 years ago, Mm You have a chronic pathogen colonization for life until you take in an agent that can dissolve the biofilm. That's why they don't go away. They, the pathogens and That's the right. bacteria form a biofilm that prevent antibiotics. Antibiotics can't not touch pathogens that are covered by biofilms. But hydrogen peroxide dissolves the biofilm and then knocks out the pathogens. And then what happens? You stop swallowing pathogens and toxins 24-7. What's interesting with that comment with the biofilm is that's the virus, quote-unquote, memory. It's there until it's it's gone. Yeah, And it's amazing that survival of that virus, how smart it is to stick around, right? There's another extremely important point in the book that maybe doesn't get enough emphasis. These chronic pathogen colonizations, by virtue of, it's all interactive, all interactive, by virtue of the leaky gut that they cause and the abnormal microbiome that they cause, then those pathogens through the leaky gut get into the body. And to date, we have a substantial number of diseases that have been checked, many have not been, where you can identify these pathogens covered by biofilm existing in the tissues that are infected in a particular chronic degenerative disease. Alzheimer's is a very big one. Okay, it's in there. Chronic coronary artery disease, you have pathogens growing there. Aneurysms inside the brain, you have pathogens growing there. Breast lumps, breast cancers, pathogens, gut pathogens. I think, opinion now, I think if elegant testing were done on the pertinent tissue of any chronic degenerative disease, you're going to identify pathogens. Because the only thing it takes to cure a disease is to neutralize the oxidation with antioxidants and bring them back to a normal reduced state. Then you no longer have disease. Mm -hmm. But obviously we can't do that because we give lots of diseases, lots of antioxidants, and maybe they get a little bit better. Maybe they stabilize, but they don't go away. They don't go away because you have an ongoing nonstop supply of new pro-oxidants because the pathogens are living in the tissue. Going back to that comment with the woman who wrote you an email, a nice email saying, I don't have any leg pain anymore. 
The answer is right there. There's energy in your blood, and oxygen is the super fuel for the energy. Let me tell you another letter I got. I mean, it was it was very gratifying. I mean, these these letters are from people around the world, and and a lot of times they're not expecting an answer. They just want to tell you what happened and say thank you. And so this one lady said, "Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you." <laughs> About a dozen times, <laughs> and then it said, "My family and I." have been suffering with black mold for 15 years. Wow. All five of my children, my husband, we've been hospitalized many times, had respiratory treatments. We actually had black mold in our house and we had to move out of the house and buy a new home and blah, blah, blah. And then she says she nebulized peroxide and she felt better than she felt in years after the first treatment. So the whole family got on it. They're all doing better. I'm not going to tell you it's cured at this point in time, but they're all doing much better. And nothing they ever did had them feel better before. Just to make a point to anybody that might be listening but doesn't realize this, quote, modern, unquote, medicine has nothing that can treat effectively or cure black mold. I mean, it's just, it's like the black death, okay? Yeah. Molds and funguses. And this is another thing, too going to wrap this around somebody like that well they were getting their mold you know obviously by inhalation a lot of people are spilling mold related issues in their urine okay positive for different types of molds well my one colleague dr ron honeyhacky who's gone through a lot of this he's at the reardon clinic in wichita mm-hmm. when he got started on this he had had a high positive titer of a certain type of mold uh, in his urine After he did the nebulizations, he retested that, and it was gone. Except for the inhalation route, most people get their chronic mold infections because the fungus gets across the uh, the leaky gut, Mm -hmm. just like all the other toxins and all the other pathogens. And when you seal that leaky gut, you stop the mold exposure. Were you saying that this is going to cure leaky gut, Dr. Levy? In many people, absolutely. Not only will it cure it, it'll cure it quickly. By that, I mean, when you look at the pathophysiology of the Mm -hmm. leaky gut, where you have these tight junctions in the intestinal epithelial cells, these epithelial cells replicate very, 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 very rapidly. You don't have one set of cells that are there for a month. You have a set of cells that are there for a day or two, and they're replicating anew, which means they're being poisoned on a daily basis. Every right. new set of cells that comes in gets repoisoned, which also means when you stop the poisoning, they resolve and normalize extremely quickly. Yeah. My anecdotal experience, and it was also shared with Dr. Honeyhacky, we discuss these things all the time. It absolutely puzzled me, but was absolutely distinct and could not be ignored. The first time I did a peroxide nebulization, ooh, two years ago, the next morning, I had the most perfect well-formed bowel movement of my life. <laughs> I mean, it freaked me out. I said, <laughs> what is happening? And, and Dr. Huddy Hackey reported the same thing. I've had a, a doctor report back to me that a couple uh, middle-aged ladies with 10 to 15 years of irritable bowel syndrome felt mm. a whole lot better after the first nebulization and were more or less completely resolved within a week or two. So the thing is, is all these quote-unquote chronic bowel conditions, they're chronic 
not because the disease process is chronic. They're chronic because the poisoning is chronic. Sure. Stop the poisoning. They heal quickly. Yeah. Now, I, I'm not going to give you percentages or this out of the other. It's there's a lot of other factors involved. Also, considering the fact that it's mentioned in the book that if you're not eating organic food, you're ingesting a huge amount of iron. Right. Okay. And mm-hmm. iron is highly toxic. Yeah. You only take extra iron if you have an iron deficiency anemia. Other than that, it's probably the most toxic substance on the planet in terms of stimulating oxidation, which is the ultimate cause of all disease. Oxidation is when you, probably important to mention this, mm-hmm. oxidation is when you take an electron away from a molecule. Reduction, as with an antioxidant, is when you redonate that electron to the molecule. Well, as it turns out, all toxins, 100%, are pro-oxidant. They take electrons away. This is how a toxin causes this damage. No other way. I mean, you have different toxins going to different parts of the body due to their unique chemical structure, but the damage that they do is oxidation. Now, when you have the right toxin in the right place and it oxidizes RNA, DNA, protein, sugar, enzyme, you name it, the result of that oxidation is that molecule becomes inactivated. It no longer has its normal biological function. It's inert. Okay. And the more inert molecules you have in different locations in different concentrations, the more disease you have. That's right. In the literature, we hear about oxidation causing disease. That's close to being true. What's the truest statement is oxidation is disease. There's no other disease going on in the body other than the degree to which different molecules, different concentrations, and different locations are oxidized. Wow. Okay. And so then you bring in the antioxidants. And if you have an illness where the ongoing oxidative stress has been eliminated, you can cure that disease very quickly with high doses of antioxidants. But like I said, most of the time, Mm -hmm. there's an ongoing oxidative stress present as well. My mentor, Dr. Hal Huggins, back uh, some 25, 30 years ago in Colorado Springs, probably the world's first biological dentist, he was sort of getting frustrated with me one day when I was asking him questions about things like this, not the same thing. And finally, he stopped. He said, Tom? I said, yes, sir. He said, remember this. You can't dry off while you're still in the shower. (laughs) That's right. Okay. (laughs) I, I said, Wow. (laughs) And it's true. Modern medicine doesn't repair and it doesn't stop new damage. Those are the two prongs. The two prongs of effective treatment is prevent new damage and repair old damage. Modern medicine does neither one. Alternative integrative medicine mostly does just repair. They have a lot of good things that you take in that have antioxidant value and they repair. But Far too much, we're changing this as time goes on, far too much of integrative medicine still doesn't appreciate how overwhelmingly important the contribution of chronic infections are in your body to this ongoing oxidative stress. Yeah. I wrote a book, Hidden Epidemic. The subtitle is Silent Oral Infections, Teeth, Tonsils, Gums, Cause close to 100% of all coronary artery disease and 70% of breast cancers. 
Yeah. I am lining up the questions for you. I'm telling. I have a list <laughs> okay. of. Them. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, so so anyway, the point there is oxidation is disease. Yep. Oxidation is a cause disease. It is the disease. It's it's like saying uh, this guy is causing these people to be killed. No, he's not causing them to be killed. He's killing them. Okay. So it is the disease. So. Let's hear your questions. (laughs) Sure. Well, we're going to have some fun because here's some good stuff coming up. I want to get back to a routine real quick. So for those who are looking to do a routine who are in homeostasis, which means they're living every day well, uh, they may have some coughing here or there. What's that routine look like? Are you recommending at least once a week, six times a month? What would you suggest? Well, this is a little bit like... What concentration of peroxide do we use? I'm going to give you some specifics, but I got to start out by you carve your own pathway. Sure. Now, for myself, and I can't apply myself to the whole population, but for myself, I actually have gotten to the point where if I'm not fighting an infection, but just doing a maintenance type thing, I start nebulizing again when my bowels are no longer perfect. What a great indication. Wow. Yes. And just like that, they'll come back. Right. Like I said, just the, the epithelial cells in the gut normalize so quick. Now, I'm exceptionally susceptible. I mean, and this is why but, I worked on all this stuff. You know because, why that's really important? Because if, you know how many pounds most people carry in excess weight or, let's say, waste product out of their gut? It's at least anywhere between four to seven pounds on average, if not more, for the people who are heavily obese. So the way that you answered that was perfect. Well, let me tell you something else. Now, this is a prediction. I can't, I can't tell you this has happened yet. This is a prediction. <laughs> this prediction is based on the fact that it is established. Oftentimes, fat cells form and are stimulated to form and stimulated to proliferate because they absorb and take up toxins and buffer your body against the toxic effect. So in other words, it's a mechanism by which your body makes you less prone to the toxicity of toxins. How many people, myself included, I actually just got an infected tooth taken out today, and I can't wait to see what happens over the next few months because you can't find an ounce of fat on my body except for a little belly. Now, a lot of people are fat everywhere. This might not apply to them, but a lot of people, as you know, mm-hmm. especially as they get older, they're just fighting the gut without really being big anywhere else. Well, what's happening? What's happening? You're swallowing pathogens and toxins 24-7 right in that area that's getting stimulated. I predict if we can ever accumulate the information and we start getting, I predict that a lot of people, when they start doing this on a regular basis, those little guts are going to start to disappear because they'll no longer be needed to buffer the daily toxin load that they were swallowing 24-7 before. Yeah, I can see that. And so back to your question as to a routine. Obviously, if you're sick, and I mean, I don't, I mean, unless your doctor or somebody else insists on it, I mean, if you start to get a runny nose or a virus or this, that, or the other, there's no point in running off and getting a COVID test. Just treat it. This is for any virus, COVID included. So, I mean, don't waste your time or money or anything else like that. You'll just end up getting on some sort of list somewhere as an infected person, which I'm not advising infected persons to run around and not treat themselves. I'm just making the point that what I'm talking about 
cures that syndrome quickly yeah, and that it. person is no longer a transmitting threat to anybody. Mm-hmm. So aside from treating the acute infection, first start out by doing it daily, okay, until you see what type of effect it has on your bowels. I mean, very few people, I think, have perfect bowel movements every morning uh, later on in the day. There's looseness, there's softness, there's odors, there's all different varieties of bowel problems. Most people just accept them as they get older as because, well, that's just me. That's how my body processes food. This, that, and the yeah. Not the case. Not the my case. My friend Ben Azadi, who's on the show, he puts it this way about bowel movements is that when you eat, typically within 15 to 20 minutes after you're done, you should be moving bowels. Like a baby. Right. And if you're not, eat, eat you're poop, constipated. <laughs> you know, I got to say this too. I mean, uh, when I first started talking about this, I, I didn't want in any way being delicate, but this is science. Actually, what I'm going to tell you is pure science. The additional thing that I noted with this perfect bowel movement is you could practically, there was nothing on the toilet paper at all. So in other words, the, the actual composition of the stool <laughs> was such that you weren't just smearing stuff all over the place until you finally got yourself clean, which is the disgusting nature of toilet tissue sure. anyway versus bidets. But that said, for the first time in my life, I understood how your little pet dog can run outside, take a poop, and then jump in your lap and doesn't get any poop on your lap. That's because the nature of the stool, it just tweaks off and there's nothing to clean. All of these things come together when you have the perfect microbiome and no more leaky gut. And just like your friend said, a normal adult should have pretty much how many times do they have a significant meal a day? That's how many times they should have a significant bowel movement a day. Yeah, absolutely. Going back, so yep. somebody <laughs> should do it daily until they think they're getting their own feel, quote unquote. Is it impacting my bowels at all? If not, if you don't think it's impacting at all, I would say uh, do it once uh, once a week, a couple times a month, if you don't really feel it's done anything at all. On the other hand, if you start to see positive shifts, things that you perceive mm-hmm. as improving the nature of your bowel movement, uh, many people have told me, it's similar to just what you just said, too, is that when I first did it, I went and had a bowel movement a half an hour later. I mean, it just... It just really caused something quickly. When you know you're having an impact, that means you are dealing with the resolution of a chronic pathogen colonization in your nose, throat, respiratory tract, and sinuses. And even if you don't get this perfect bowel movement change, you should definitely do it whatever amount of times. You've got to determine it over time. Whatever amount of times a week it takes to keep you at that better, better bowel movement state. So in short, people who are going to exercise this need to biohack a little bit as well and test out their Sure, bodies. sure, yeah, sure. I, I mean, gotcha. And I mean, we're not dealing, as so many people are, they, I mean, they're just freaking out about how to dilute and this and that and the other and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Don't worry about it. Keep yourself below 3%. Okay. So, I mean, you know, if you insist on buying and there's nothing wrong with this, the 12% or the 36% food-grade hydrogen peroxide, you got to know what you're doing when you dilute those products because those products by themselves are far too concentrated 
to get anywhere near your body. And the 35% will actually give you an acid burn if you get it on your skin. Okay. So, but by the same token, if you know how to do dilutions, if you know how to keep something off, I mean, it doesn't cause a horrible burn. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, yeah. Okay. If you know how to handle products, you can get a 35% bottle, keep it in your freezer where it doesn't freeze, but at that temperature, it stays indefinitely without breaking down. And that can generate gallons and gallons and gallons of 3% or less hydrogen peroxide. But you have to know how to dilute. And people just get frantic asking me these questions. And I get frustrated and say, look, don't buy the 36%. Just buy the 3% right. and go from there. Is there a better time of the day, like a more optimized, like first thing in the morning or last thing before you go to bed? Well, you know, considering what we know now uh, about the intestinal cells and how quickly they regenerate, probably first thing in the morning, if you're doing it for the first time, is going to be what you need for the following day for the impact on the bowel function. But um, nah, other than that, I don't know that there's any... Uh, let me think about this for a second before I just sure. jump out to an answer. Um, probably, probably the time to do it, if you're going to do it one time a day, is uh, shortly before you go to bed. That way, if you've acquired any new pathogens during the day, you knock them out and you keep them proliferating anew inside the aerodigestive tract while you sleep. That's, that's probably, what I'm guessing, That's probably too. the best thing at one time, yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing that, too, because I also know that our guts need to rest at a minimum of, you know, when I say rest, I mean slash heal. And yeah. a lot of people like using the word intermittent fasting. There's a nice little buzzword. But realistically, it's your microbiome, your gut needs to heal 14 to 16 hours a day. How I'm thinking about this, if it's the last thing you do before you go to bed, and let's just say your non-eating window is... 6 p.m. to 10 a.m. And it's the last thing you do before you go to bed. This is going to help your body's processing less, and it can actually do its job better, easier, without so much stress. And and, and you also make certain by doing it close to bedtime that there's not going to be any new toxin exposure for the gut to deal with during that period of time. You you sort of give it a clean slate to, to go the evening, the rest. All right. So on that note, I'm going to roll into something else. And All right. Shoot. <laughs> so there is Fire a, when ready. We have a, a very great group of people, friends. They're also affiliates of Healthcare 360. They have a company called Root. And this is actually a whole series of questions I was writing down as you're going through. When you talked about pathogens and toxins in vitamin C, now, my first part of this, is there a difference between just over-the-counter vitamin C or should it be liposomal vitamin C, which gets absorbed a little bit faster into the molecular system. Liposomal is your best. The only downside about liposomals is ever since Live On Labs uh, in Nevada started up with liposomes some 15 or 16 years ago, and then I started talking about their product. I'm a consultant to the company. People started learning about liposomes, and the company took off like a shot, And then I never saw so much fraud in my life. I mean, people just came out of the woodworks. They just slapped liposome on the product. One product, which you saw on the back, it said ascorbyl palmitate, nothing else. And on the front, it said liposome vitamin C. So I go with the proviso that if you're getting a good liposome product, of which there are not many, Live On Labs being the one that I have confidence in, because I've seen over and over again how it works, the effect is profound in my opinion, comparable to an equivalent number of grams given intravenously. 
So even though you take this orally, it gets so completely absorbed. And then in the liposome encapsulated form, which is like a little nano fat ball that has a coating just like the cells in your body. They were initially designed as artificial cells. They make their way all the way through the intestinal tract, into the lymph, into the blood, and then the cells throughout the body. And then here's the kicker. Because they can merge with the cell wall or they're tiny enough to go through the pores in the cell wall and then merge with intracellular organelles, they deliver vitamin C or whatever their payload is without the consumption of energy. When you take something intravenously, even though it's already in the blood, it's not covered with a liposome. And in order for the vitamin C to get inside the cell, you have to consume energy to transport it into the cell. Right. That makes the big difference. Okay. So as a single form of vitamin C, liposomes are the best. They're a little pricey for some people. Yeah. Uh, and um, basically, it's best not to really deal, in my opinion, with the pills. Okay. You have all sort of other binders and everything else. So you either use capsules, gel, or powder, uh, sodium ascorbate powder. You could use ascorbic acid powder too, but it's acidic. Some people have delicate stomachs, but the sodium ascorbate powder is excellent. Many, many, many cases of everything were cured and resolved before liposomes ever came along just with regular old vitamin C, but you have to be more diligent with it. You have to Mm -hmm. take it several times a day. The liposomes, you can get away with taking once a day. That's sort of the short story on C. So this company, Root Brands, that I've talked about, they have a product called Clean Slate. You made me chuckle when you say clean slate. And the <laughs> the composition of how it's made, it's a zeolite uh, with cryptolite, extracted crystals, with trace minerals, sea salts, and liposomal C. To date, the testimonials that I've personally seen over Zoom calls with people all around the globe, it's I've never seen anything like it. Not to bring them into the topic here, but in combination with a detox, like a heavy metal detox, because we know that with the vaporized peroxide that it's going to remove toxins and pathogens. In combination with that, have you seen anything there at all? Have you seen what, like a proper detox with the optimization of oxygen getting into the system? Well, I haven't been tracking a lot of these people's blood work, which would be one thing would be important to do. I don't have a clinical practice, I have a lot of arm's length people around the world tell me what they've done, this end or the other. Sure. I have the my colleague at the Reardon Clinic, Dr. Honey Hack, who has an active clinical practice, and he incorporates a lot of these protocols. But certainly it makes sense, uh, this product or whatever, to have at least early on when you start to treat something and you know you're going to be forming a lot of pathogens, etc., and breaking them down, forming toxins, it is good to have a good broad base of antioxidant protection. I mean, the king of them is vitamin C, but it doesn't have to be just vitamin C. I mean, I like to refer to the antioxidant matrix. They all interact together. One regenerates the other. And the the antioxidant matrix is uh, probably the big four. The big four supplements, in my opinion, are vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin K2, and magnesium. Mm. This is covered in another book I wrote called Death by Calcium, which is not an exaggeration on the title, I might add. 
but all disease. I remember I talked about oxidative stress and increased oxidation. That's always attended by and caused by increased calcium inside the cell. If you have normal calcium levels inside the cell, you have the normal cell. Elevated, you have oxidative stress. Well, those four things, vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin K2, and magnesium, all work to normalize calcium levels inside the cell. And interestingly enough, each one has been studied, and each one, as a mono-supplement, decreases all-cause mortality, which means it decreases your chance of death from anything. So that means it's favorably impacting the physiology of every cell in your body. Otherwise, it would just be one disease or another disease or just cancer or just heart disease. The only other doctor I've ever heard talk about vitamin K the way you just did was Dr. Merritt. Your cardiovascular health specifically to that point with the lack of calcium buildup. And that's what uh, K2 does is it profoundly positively impacts calcium, mobilizes calcium deposits. But it's very important to realize too, a lot of people... I'm not being so much critical as I'm being observational. They carve a little niche, and then they just put all their focus on one thing. Sure. Okay. I mean, if you want to pick and choose, as I wrote another book called Magnesium Reversing Disease, magnesium is your number one supplement. It's more important to get magnesium inside your body than anything else. I mean... Even over B12, since you can't get it from a food source? Any of them. Any of them. I mean... The primary regulator of calcium inside your cell is magnesium. And magnesium and calcium are the yin and the yang. If you get your magnesium up inside the cell, the calcium goes down, and then the vitamin C can come in, Mm. the glutathione can be synthesized, and the other antioxidants can take effect because the other antioxidants don't have their impact as long as you're in an over-oxidized state due to the excess calcium inside every cell in your body. Wow. Okay. Didn't know that myself. I've taken magnesium supplementation before, but I never really, I focused more on D, C, and B12 with folate. I mean, it's kind of silly to say if you had to pick one, because you don't just pick one, you pick the best ones. But if you had to pick one, the one that would most strongly keep you well in the face of, let's say, a normal diet and a good digestion is magnesium. Hmm. Because Virtually everybody has a magnesium deficiency for a number of different reasons. I won't go into all of those, but a magnesium deficiency causes many diseases and makes all diseases worse. And there's no substitute for magnesium. I mean, if you have a magnesium deficiency, you can't take strontium or something like that and compensate for it. On the other hand, vitamin C, you absolutely need a lot of vitamin C, but you can get a partial compensation for a vitamin C deficiency with other antioxidants. There's nothing that partially compensates for or mitigates against a magnesium deficiency, which nearly everybody has, except for the administration of magnesium. So I guess going back to the the initial question here, so there's not a lot of studies yet with the relationships between detoxifiers combined with the vaporized peroxide treatments yet? No, no, no. Let me just say right now to anybody listening, I mean, please don't ask me to show you a ton of studies. I'm I'm giving you my experience, okay? Now, there's a lot of things, and you'll see it in the book, where I have my experience, and then I research the literature, and I find that there's an article 
that addresses that particular property of hydrogen peroxide. But to anybody listening, the only way you do these studies is with lots and lots and lots of money, hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. You get mm-hmm. a quality, prospective, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, blah, blah, blah. And the only people that come up with that money are pharmaceuticals. Sure. Now, right. is a pharmaceutical company going to spend millions of dollars to clearly prove that hydrogen peroxide nebulization is going to do, do away with uh, three quarters of the drugs that they sell. I don't think so. No, absolutely not. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. So it's not going to happen. Don't look for the big studies. The other thing too is the scorn toward anecdotal. The scorn toward anecdotal is only there because they want you to prove something with the big study. And if you don't, they just disparage what you have to say as an anecdote. Well, a true clinician Seeing a patient die in front of his eyes rapidly from, say, an infectious disease, and he comes through, she comes through with an intervention, and the patient promptly starts to get better and is cured in a day or two, you're an arrogant ass if you ignore that result and never utilize that therapy because you want to see a big, powerful, prospective double-blind study. Yeah, right. In the literature... They have something called case reports, and case reports are valid and citable. Well, guess what a case report is? A case report is an anecdote, mm-hmm. but it's an anecdote reported by a physician, not an anecdote reported by somebody else. The physician sees something, writes it up, analyzes it, case report. So there's a tremendous amount of value with anecdotes, you know, as long as you're evaluating them objectively and not trying to predetermine an outcome. I mean, I wasn't there for these 20 COVID patients in, uh, in Cali, Colombia, but the person I'm dealing with in my book has a tremendous amount of credibility. And even if her clinical observations weren't spot on everywhere, she took 20 sick COVID patients and completely cured them in five days, all 20. Yeah. Now, I mean, if somebody was to ignore that because it's not part of some sort of Harvard-funded controlled study, well, then... Just ignore it to the detriment of yourself and family and friends when they get sick, waiting for some sort of prescription drug to deal with COVID, which does not exist. Well, does exist. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, yes, but not resvemadir, res uh, whatever. So So here's a question for you now on this. We recently had Dell Bigtree on the show where we went through where we know globally there had been the combination of zinc, C, and hydrochloroquine where it resolved people who had been sick with COVID-19. Right. So have you or anyone that you know forwarded your book to either the CDC, the WHO, or the NIH? And if they have seen it, do they have a response to what the claims are? I don't know that that's happened. I've certainly gotten no feedback directly or indirectly from those organizations. I, that would be wonderful. I, I, I wonder. I, I can't imagine they'd be happy. Sure. That, that, that assumes those organizations, <laughs> in fact, put the public health as their number one priority. And I simply don't believe that. I don't believe that either. Actually, everyone on the show knows yes, that, exactly. I, that I'm not in that position. So, yeah, I wanted to ask that question because, again, testimonials, experience speaks volumes over experimental drug therapies. Will be nice. Kind of. <laughs> the other thing, too, is I, I, I want to say this just as a general statement. I mean, 
when people don't do well or they get sicker or they have problems, they let you know about it. Right. I mean, over the course of months now, I get nothing but positive feedback. I mean, every now and then I get someone who's, again, complaining about the sneezing or this out of the other. And I say, read the book more carefully. Go down with your concentration. You know, or they say, oh, it's burning my eyes. And I say, well, lower concentration or close your eyes or nebulize in front of a fan. Just simple suggestions like that. But nobody reports it making them worse. And when people get worse, they let you know. Because they're mad and they're upset and they think maybe you pulled a fast one on them. Not that you made any money off of them. You know, you've just been giving them information, but be that as it may. So I want to dive into something. It's basically a single question, but it's in two parts. This came up as I was thinking about some friends and some other ideologies that I think that people may want to have addressed and asked. Okay. When it comes to cancers, blood cancers, tumors, masses, that's one side of it. So has there been any study or any experience, any case reports brought back to you? One. And then on the second side of that, people who've had masses removed or had breast cancers and underwent chemo and radiation as far as getting those toxins removed. Anything there? As you might have noted in the book, when it comes to all diseases, especially cancer, okay, an abnormal gut microbiome and a leaky gut are like one of the primary causes of cancers anywhere in the body. Right. Because they not only disseminate the pro-oxidant toxins, if they seed pathogens in the wrong site, oftentimes you develop a cancer. I mean, in the case of infected teeth and infected gums, when you do thermography, you can literally see the red lines of infection going down the lymphatic channels and parking in the breasts. And when you examine benign lumps and malignant lumps, they both have substantial amounts of the periodontal pathogens that you find in the mouth. There was some work done back in the 1950s by Dr. Joseph Issels in Germany. He worked with metastatic cancer patients to use a little special therapy he had. But bottom line was, in his words, he found that 98% of his patients had multiple infected teeth, which meant root canals and other teeth like that. Well, he didn't have sophisticated testing, so I think you could say that 98% was really 100%. But see that as a big, 98 is pretty big by itself. But when you flip that around, it begs the question, how many people get cancer with a perfectly normal oral cavity? Hmm. And I'm going to tell you, practically nobody. Really? All oxidative stress is what causes cancers. Exaggerated levels cause the most, and the pathogens in the mouth are the most toxic on the planet. Okay. You literally have, let me give you another example so people might think I'm just not going crazy here. You have in the coronary artery, I'm a cardiologist, incidentally, you form the plaques that eventually block off the blood vessels. Well, In this one study, they did something called atherectomy. That's where you do an angiogram, and then you have a special little device that goes in like a roto-rooter and literally scrapes the obstructive plaque out, Mm -hmm. okay? And they collected those specimens. Now, they did this in 38 chronic coronary artery disease patients. Each specimen showed 
50 or more different periodontal pathogens inside the plaque. This is especially of interest. They found this in 38 out of 38 patients. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you can't get coronary artery disease without a colonization of oral pathogens inside the coronary artery. I'll just let that stand. If somebody wants to prove me wrong, go to any patient at pathology and section the coronary artery and do standard PCR testing and other testing for pathogens. There's not a chance in hell you're not going to have a ton of oral pathogens in those arteries. Now, why do they cause coronary artery disease? Oxidative stress. The oxidation consumes the vitamin C inside the blood vessel. So you end up with a blood vessel that's in a state of acute scurvy. Now, what does that do? That causes inflammation. Then what's the first thing that the immune system does when it responds to inflammation? It brings in monocytes. What do monocytes have more than anything else? 80-fold, 8,000% more than any other cell, vitamin C. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, actually, in my opinion, the immune system is primarily designed to provide vitamin C and antioxidant capacity to whatever area has been acutely depleted. But until you get the vitamin C in normal levels, which you never do as long as the pathogens come in, then what happens? You don't have vitamin C in the blood vessel wall. That's needed for collagen and for strength. So the blood vessel starts to get weak, starts to expand. Well, the body is always designed to have a compensatory mechanism to prevent a catastrophe. So what's your biggest catastrophe for a coronary artery? Rupture. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's your catastrophe. And just like a tire, you can form a little aneurysm and rupture. Well, if the body wants to make more collagen, but it can't because there's not enough vitamin C to do it, then the alternative mechanism is just to make the wall thicker. And that increasing thickness is the atherosclerotic plaque. And it compensates a lot of times for a long period of time until obviously the plaque gets so big that it blocks off the blood vessel. That's wonderful information because you just summed up what heart disease is and it's leaky gut syndrome for the most part. Yes. Wow. The leaky gut and the periodontal disease that caused the leaky gut that's also directly donating via the blood and the lymph those pathogens as well. It's like, it's very interactive. It's not just one linear trail. One impacts the other. So my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, who's 16 now, when she was born about a year, year, two years in, we realized that there was something really going down. So we brought her to Dr. Kenneth Bach up in Rhinebeck, New York, and he was a functional integrative medicine specialist. And he was like, yeah, she has this condition called leaky gut. Can you imagine 20 years ago if we knew then what we know now? Yeah. What leaky gut? But we have to add cancer a is a hockey stick right now. It is spiking. Let's just hope that what we do know now and what we're talking about right now makes its way completely to the public and medical consciousness. Just because the important thing is not to discover something. The important thing is to be able to disseminate it. That's right. Otherwise, it's ridiculous. Right. It's pointless. Yeah. It's just a me- mental exercise. I want to go back to uh, one last thing before we end up, Dr. Levy. Radiation and chemo, is there any stories there that have some positive results of people who have gone through those treatments? Remember that radiation is nothing but 
a force that induces oxidation. Obviously, it's not doing it in the same way as a toxin, mm -hmm. but the damage that the radiation does is oxidation. So to the degree that you can stop the radiation, there's certainly many studies that show the ability of vitamin C when dosed adequately to uh, completely neutralize radiation and to completely repair the damage. It's all a matter of dose and all a matter of degree. You have to pay the piper. If you have, I'll use a silly example, if you have, if you have 10 pounds of oxidation, five pounds of antioxidation is not going to do it. You right. got to get to the point where molecule for molecule, you're able to supply the electrons that are needed to uh, restore a normal redox balance in those molecules. But uh, now I don't know if uh, at this point in time, well, it, the other thing too, the whole thing, like let's say nebulization, how would it impact that? Mm -hmm. It would impact it like it would impact anything else to the degree that you normalize your gut microbiome and you stop the leaky gut. I mean, it's mentioned in the book as well. There's dozens of different references to dozens of different diseases. They all get worse with the leaky gut. So if you have something that stops that, even if it doesn't resolve that disease, it's going to make it manageable to a degree that was never manageable before. Okay. So I'm going to stop for a second and ask my audience to do something. I'm going to ask them all to not only download the book with the link that we'll provide in the podcast notes and YouTube notes, but I would like you to forward it to somebody as well. We're hearing forward now. It everybody. Forward. forward it to everybody. The whole world needs this information. And well, I'm using a technique that my wife uses all the time. Oh, right, okay. Lady, all right. right. Go ahead. So, and, and here a technique is this. If, you, if you're trying to get a young kid to brush their teeth and they don't like brushing their teeth, if you ask them to brush uh -huh. one tooth, they'll get them all. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There so you go. if everyone forwards it to one person, whether they pay it forward or whatever, you know, a little catchphrase you want to put behind it, yeah. it will make an impact. So if everyone can do me that favor personally, I really would appreciate it. We call our audience the best and brightest of Healthcare 360. So if the best and brightest can get together and do this, this would be amazing. And people say, you know, well, what are you, you deserve to be paid for this, Dr. Lee, or this, that, and other. If you want to pay me, you share it with others. That's the payment. Yeah, for sure. That's the payment. Well, I have two staple ending questions I always end my show with, Dr. Levy. All right. Uh, the first one is, you're an educated person, obviously. Uh, you wrote 11 books. You're giving this most current one away for free. Thank you for that. How do you educate yourself? Where do you spend your time learning? Is it more hardcover, podcasts, YouTube videos? That's a bigger question than you think you just asked. <laughs> <I>, um, <laughs> Every significant thing I've written about has been because I've gotten it. And medicine hasn't offered a solution. And I just grind away until I want to say I discover something, but I'll take it a different way until I'm given something. Mm. Okay. We, we all think that when an idea pops into our head, it's our possession and our brain produced it. I maintain much of the time that's a gift. And you're given the insight. And so without getting too far off base here, I, I mean, I will sometimes wake up in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning out of a sound sleep with an insight that I've been grinding on for weeks that I just can't think of a, a solution. And there, it's just like that. Now, was that my brain that gave it to me or was there a gift? 
I don't know who possesses ideas, but I'm given ideas, and then I go to the literature and find out the ideas are born out and they're real, and then I apply them, and oftentimes I resolve a situation with myself that I've been unable to resolve it on, and it exposes incredibly important underlying principles, and so I do the due diligence and the research and then put it all together, and there's your book. I want to bring up one thing, and the reason why I told the fib, it wasn't my last two questions, it was my last (laughs) three questions. I have one more added in there. Liar, liar. Um, No kidding, right? Um, So I always ask audience members, hey, we have this guest coming on, would you like to ask him a question while I'm live on the show? And one of the questions that came in, and actually had this written down, and I don't know how I missed when it comes down to Parkinson's protocol. So you talked about Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, I know dementia is in there as well. Would it just be the same nebulizing the approach well, to uh, cancers the, and everything the book, else? Now, the book goes into some protocols. At this state and time, I mean, at the Reardon Clinic, through Dr. Honeyhackey and some protocols we put together called the ascorbazone protocol, ascorbic acid and ozone in a number of different combinations, ultraviolet light, blood irradiation. These are all biooxidative therapies. They're all capable of stripping away a biofilm before they attack the pathogens underneath. Now, we don't have enough patients to, say, make any conclusions as to percentage or response or this out of the other, but it appears, and this is in the book as well, too, and in the last chapter or so, mm-hmm. that says, when you, with the nebulization and the scraping of the tongue and the curing of a periodontal disease and all the other sources, and you stop swallowing patches and toxins, and you normalize your microbiome, you heal your leaky gut, you stop seeding new pathogens on a daily basis throughout the body, then it appears that powerful biooxidative therapies, which are represented by vitamin C, hydrogen peroxide, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, ultraviolet blood irradiation, and ozone, okay, combinations of those therapies appear to have the capability of stripping the biofilm and killing the chronic pathogen colonization that's set up shop inside the affected cells of these various diseases. Okay. Wow. Once you do that, while not letting the new pathogens recolonize so that you repeat the process all over again, that's why the maintenance part is important. Mm -hmm. I'm just not prepared to tell anybody for sure is it once a week, three times a week, every day, once a month? That's going to be an individual thing. Some people have much, much more resistance to new infections than others. I get sick as a dog really quick, so I do it a lot. But once you have protocols, but then it involves intensive therapy, like Lyme is something that um, I'm not going to give you a percentage of the time, but I will say that at the Reardon Clinic and some other physicians that have followed some of my recommendations, we've seen a consistent and fairly high resolution. I'm going to say resolution. I'm going to waffle on that rather than just say sure. we, we've cured limes. I will say we've, <laughs> it sounds like we're just playing with words. We've yeah. seen the disease go away. I mean, <laughs> you're going to say, well, that's secure. Okay, if that's secure, that's secure. But the point being is, In one particular circumstance, and this was just using vitamin C, a large number of Lyme patients, because of this one patient I had feedback on many years ago, I gave a lecture in Tennessee, 
And the nurse called me later on and said, Dr. Levy, uh, this patient here heard you talk. And you said that if, if a little bit of vitamin C doesn't do the trick, you just need to take more. And I said, yeah, well, I guess I said that. And she says she wants to get a lot of IV vitamin C for her Lyme disease. I said, well, okay, that's a good idea. I swear, she got like 50 to 75 grams of vitamin C IV every day. I think maybe she took Sunday off. <laughs> every day, every day for 23 days. Now, here's the sad and wonderful part. During those 23 days, she didn't feel better at all. But she just had confidence. The 24th day, the nurse said it was like a light switch had flipped. And she went from doing that to feeling wonderful. And then, again, following the principles I talked about in my lecture, she said we had to keep it down. So we continued another week of IV vitamin C, and she's fine, and all the tests are back to normal. And I had a doctor that repeated that protocol on about 15 other patients. I'm reluctant to still recommend that because I still don't know the percentage response and I would feel horrible for somebody to spend out of pocket the money for 25 vitamin C infusions and not get a positive result. But by the same token, I have to be honest and say, when you pound away it and you have the ability and you basically, as I like to analogize it, get the additional layers of penetration. You just keep on going. You get deeper and deeper and deeper uh, because Lyme is what's called a hidden pathogen. Mm -hmm. Not just like in the blood or in the extracellular fluid. It can get embedded into different intracellular organelles, etc. But we've seen quicker response when we've used the ascorbazone protocol, combining the vitamin C with the ozone and the ultraviolet blood irradiation at the Reardon Clinic and and now we're expanding that protocol with the nebulization as well. So I'm excited as the possibilities, but uh, I'm not ready to tell you we can cure Alzheimer's because we can resolve the chronic pathogen colonization. But I think it's a realistic possibility, especially in an early stage. Gotcha. So the possibilities there has to be explored and just follow through on. Very good. Final question. Ready? Here we go. Shoot. You get to leave the audience with whatever last statement or comment you like to leave them with. What would you like to say? Very simply, you have to take your health into your own hands. All right. Too many people, and I understand it. They feel sick. They feel weak. They feel scared. They just pick a doc and whatever that doc wants to do, they do it. You're only going to suffer if you do that. All right. You have to consume information. You have to compare sources and you have to find a doctor who will answer your questions. Mm. If your doctor wants to shove you out the door in five minutes, don't walk away from that doctor, run away from that doctor. Okay. (laughs) So there's a lot of good docs out there. Unfortunately, they're not even close to being in the majority, right? But there are a lot of good docs out there. Mostly, but not completely, integrative, complementary, alternative, etc. And also remember, not everything they do is correct, too. So you'd still have to be, you have to say, well, doctor, why is that going to help my condition? Tell me, explain me. Be a health consumer if you want to optimize your health care. Because there's so much, in my opinion, awful stuff going on in medicine these days. 
they not only push toxic pharmaceutical drugs, they actively suppress and even pursue the licenses of doctors who would use something that would cure the patient. I'm talking about intravenous vitamin C in the intensive care unit, especially for sepsis. I get letters from around the world several Mm -hmm. times a week. If you're a physician and they present you with a pile of papers and they say they want this and you can read from the papers that it's harmless and the patient's going to die the next day without it. If you refuse, then I'm also a lawyer. That at the very least is negligent manslaughter and that doctor should go to jail. Wow. Do you have time for one more question? Sure, go ahead. Right. Liar, liar. Okay, I know, right? <laughs> well, I've I've heard this quite a few times, and sure. I've never been able to capture where it's coming from or how. Uh, I have friends who are physicians, doctors, surgeons, and they say when they go to these conferences, the majority of their time spent in discussion is with legal counsel from said organization that's sponsoring, etc. So now. One of the things I've heard, I can't verify it, I can't find it, but I would love to know, knowing that you carry both bags here, Dr. Levy, is that, let's say, for example, a a physician gives a recommendation for a prescription. Let's say it's a heart thinning medication. Right. And that patient takes it. I was told to a certain degree that that doctor can never remove that drug therapy from that patient's file meaning that they can never come off it. So if they improve their diet, they improve their movement regimen, meaning exercise. Once they're on the medication, they're running for life. And if they remove the medication, then they can be found liable for any potentials down the road. Is there any validity to that? Well, I guess in the sense it's mainstream medicine is always trying to find a way to delegitimize the increasingly legitimate alternative, complementary, integrative medicine field. And of course, they hold us to standards that they don't hold themselves to. And the unfortunate thing, too, is in the medical licensure end of things, and this should be changed, but it's not. This way the case is, is all a medical board in any state in the country needs is a complaint from one doctor about another doctor. Once that complaint is made, it doesn't matter how stupid or irrelevant the board thinks the issue is, Mm. they have to pursue it and they have to execute an investigation. So you can really neutralize a lot of physicians like that very easily. I mean, it could be said, I mean, the game could be played both ways, but to my knowledge, it's not because integrative physicians are good people. They're not malicious asses who are only interested in money. So it only goes one way, unfortunately, but perhaps at some time in the future, um, that might not be a bad idea. And then maybe when the uh, medical board starts seeing a lot of official complaints being made against their revered mainstream practitioners, uh, maybe they'll put some different mechanisms in place. Yeah, for sure. Well, I can't thank you enough. This was utterly amazing. I really am so impressed. And thank you for sharing everything you shared, especially all the stories. It's it's really been, I learned a lot. I learned well, a lot. Just get that book sure. out. We want 10 million downloads. 10 million, 10 million downloads. Task and challenge accepted. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So Dr. All right. Levy. Thank you, Scott. Now that you know, you can't unknow. 
We all know someone who is sick, who has been let down by the healthcare system. So take action, reach out, and help someone who needs to hear this information as well as read Dr. Levy's book. This is what it's all about. As a personal favor to me, download Rapid Virus Recovery, share with as many as you can. This is the change in information we all have been waiting for. From all of us with Healthcare 360, we thank you, and thank you for the continued support. We'll see you for episode 92. See you there.